So Vinny, what was your last job title? My last job title was um, Associated Creative Director in Apple, California. And worked over there, taking over the iPhone team and just getting inspired by enhancing the power of the photography of the iPhone in the shot on iPhone. And what was the, the award that you would say was most, more prestigious that you've won? Well, I would explain two ways this. Um, my best award was my first DNAD. But my actual best award was to understand that the freedom I had to leave everything was priceless. And what was your first job? And how old job. were you? The first, first job ever in my life yeah. or in my creative industry? In, in your life? In my entire life. Ooh. Well, I worked in recycling systems, uh, from loading trucks to ripping off plastic labels and dividing into ecosystem, facilitating the separation of pl types of plastics in order to be recycled. How old were you? I was um, 14, 13. Okay, let's go on this journey with you. <laughs> Definitely. So, Vinny, you ended up at probably like a very aspirational job uh, for a lot of people in the creative industries and not only at Apple. Can we go a little bit back to the beginning? Like, where were you born? In which setting? And how do you start? Because I think it's a fascinating story that it's very inspirational for many people. Mm -hmm. um, well, the, the thing is, I woke up one day in a place where as much as I honored so much where I was born and family. But man, I knew from that day that I was meant to be somewhere else. You know? And I always followed my passion, no matter how many distractions I had to, to be led by my intuition as a child. But I was born in a place where there were so many battles in between egos and violence and disruption of desires. So I would call um, in a conventional way the barrio, you know, the mm -hmm. ghetto. We much honor I decided to leave home very early on in my life, so before I became a man. And at the age of uh, 13, I was out already from that place. And then you are out at 13. How do you start working? How do you organize your life? How do you? Because a lot of our audience hasn't been through such a path. So it's like parents paid for education, like more traditional paths, like it happens often. Like what happened? As every man must do, every human here has, has this whole calling of survival mode, you know, like you enter the, the, the survival mode and uh, what do you do for living? And obviously that's, versus, that's your reality versus your ambition, you know, your dreams. If your reality changes, your, your circumstances don't necessarily have to. So I really had to do everything I could have imagined to, to feed myself. So I started to do any kind of jobs, like loading trucks, working in construction and helping to clean um, department stores. And obviously the other thing that makes you extremely, it makes everything extremely challenging is the age, you know, one wants to give you a job. So you... You're also into that paradox of, 
a man and child. And then I knew... I remember one night we were we were uh, at your place and you were telling me your story that I was so fascinated by and you were telling me even the accent is like people didn't want to hire someone with my accent uh, the way I spoke. That's a, that's a very, very common thing, you know, to really have is, you know, in terms of classicisms that you have uh, dialects and you have influences from the streets in your dialogue and perhaps that can be an influence in trusting you you know like associating you with what actually is not right for for your life and not right for society but people forget that they should always listen to you in order to know where you want to go and by just honoring you by listening to you and you know just giving you a chance so in in that case it happened to me so i was passing by Some of the streets of this place in Brazil called Goiânia is not famous enough to be in a map <laughs> and even to be remembered. So I walked by and then I looked left and it was this place that was a printing store. It was more like um, a place I used to print like newspapers, magazines, etc. In Brazil we call Grafica. I walked in, open chest and say, I need a job, man. I can clean up anything here. I can do whatever you guys can offer me, but I just want to start from a place. Not even able to finish my sentence. I got kicked out from this place. And, you know, always in my resilience mode, this guy just called me, hey man, um, what's your name, man? Um, Vinny. Um, okay, so how old are you? Doesn't matter, man. I just want a job. Okay, I saw that you asked for a job for in the wrong place. So if you really want a job, come to my place on Monday. And I say, what kind of place is it? Doesn't matter. You want a job, don't you? So yeah, okay, cool. I come. So he gave me a ride home, and then next day I was there half an hour before, and this guy just, um, you know, gave me a broom. And go on, man. You can start your shift start from two to six, and now you need to work in the night. I was like, what's that about? And yeah, we're gonna be a cleaner. Okay, you got to start from somewhere. You know? <laughs> so. My first night, I started to whip off the, all the books, shelves and everything. And I see a, a book with my surname on it. And this, play, this book calls, um, it's basically obeying to the Creative Club of Sao Paulo. And it's, that is a special edition of this guy called Marcelo Serpa. He's uh, one of the godfathers of Brazilian advertising in the modern days. And I'm, I had no clue who the fuck he was. <laughs> so... And turns out this guy was one of the principles of my initial inspiration in my career. This guy was the man behind Havaianas, Volkswagen, or the fantastic dilemma of Brazilian advertising in the golden days of 90s and early 2000s. Enough to inspire my life and make history in my, in my beginning. So I asked these guys, who's this guy? And I'm like, oh, this is the man you should know if you want to be in the game. All right, cool. And so that was it. I decided to really step forward in my life and understand that I really want to be in the world of design. But what is design? So I, I decided to arrive in my job earlier and sit outside and just listen to these guys giving design classes. Um, so this place, just to remind here, the storyline is if during the day it was a design studio and in the afternoon was um, a school of Adobe tools and 3D. Technically a uh, technical design school. 
in a small scale boutique. And I was outside waiting until the classes finished in having shift so I could clean the keyboards and wipe off the screens so the posh kids could come back and do the studies. They don't care much. Not dishonoring them. So for me, it was enough to just be outside and listening to the lessons and really taking that serious in my life. To the point everyone leaves the school and I could go on my own journey and use the computers without people knowing. So in that point, <laughs> I started to open the portals of opportunity of my life, as I call the Adobe tools, Illustrator, Photoshop, After Effects, and etc. not knowing a glimpse of what I was doing. But understanding that was the first sprinkle of my beginning in my life, in my journey as creative. So you start during the nights that uh, you were working there and there were the computers, you listened to the classes in the afternoon and during the night um, you start practicing like on what you've been listening to, to the classes. That's right. And then what happens? Well, and then obviously there's no comedy without tragedy, tragedy without comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I was not in a place to receive what they call luck, you know, as such a things I don't believe. And then I believe in the power of a synchronicity and I knew that I would be in trouble if I get caught by someone. So I was so tired working 20 few hours a day. And then I collapsed in the keyboard and I was sleeping and I passed out, even dribbling in the letter T <laughs> of temptation. <laughs> and then I just got slapped on my back from this arrogance and also a postcard that reminds me I'm not in the right place doing the right thing. So this man just tell me off and swearing loud voices, please just... Pick your things if you have any and don't come back here. You're fired. So you get fired. They thought you were like on internet, porn sites, whatever. Like <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously, man. Um, you know, just um, for me, it was very difficult in that moment because it was the only opportunity I had to be out of the trouble and uh, normality of the criminal environment I grew up. So... I got really, really frustrated. I went home in tears and, you know, really starting to question my life and everything. Not to bring drama into this conversation, mm -hmm. but we are talking about transformation. Yeah. So, and then I wiped off my tears and went back to, you know, the common work, back to the system. And then I received a call from the guy that originally hired me and say, I really apologize. My partner found you on a computer and really abusively fired you. And I was like, no, good, that was so unfair. And I'm like, it's like, oh good, man, come back here. I have something very serious to talk to you. I say, cool. In a second I was there and I arrive and I sit down and I gaze these two guys. And I thought I would be in trouble, but I had nothing to hide. Hmm, clearly, clearly I had, so I had a folder in the server with all the stuff I've been creating in secret. These guys just like flipped the computer and showed me, listen, you've been using, creating all this. How? Have you ever studied design before? Have you ever had the opportunity of doing such thing? I was like, brother, where I come from, one thing we lack is opportunity. But one thing is no one can hide. No one can stop a man of dreaming because it's the only place you don't pay taxes for living. So what do you guys want from me? I already feel like I've been punished enough. No, uh, that's the point. From now on, there's no punishment. So 
do you want to work with us? Because clearly you're born for this. I said, like, okay, cool. What does that actually mean? It's like, do you want to be a designer? I said, yeah, I want, but I don't know what it is, so I can show you. And for me, it was basically the beginning of my the avalanche of opportunities that I caused myself. And we're going to go on that avalanche because you still have quite some adventures ahead. But uh, let's let's just go here a little bit. And I've had the chance just to witness a little bit of work, your creative process with the NFTs at your place one evening we were there. And uh, I was amazed. Like the way you think, uh, the speed that you create and uh, the quality of your work, I was just blown away. Like I'd never seen anything like that in my life. Tell me something. Is it natural? Is it something you develop? Uh, how do you see creativity? How do you see like all this? Like Because what I've witnessed is very, very unique. And then when we go into friends' places or your place with all the furniture you create and that you're remaking your home and uh, I've seen you like build fires like no one, like there's a passion and intensity in everything you do, but it's every, even like the fire, like it's art, like you're creating something and with a lot of depth, where does it come from? Do you think it's uh, innate or you've learned it? Okay, um, I don't really think um, creativity, it's something that is a mysticism or it comes from a gift whatsoever. It's just a mass already. You articulate and work on it and it train and channel in there and to a point that it becomes unreal. The capabilities that you can unfold within yourself but ideas itself for instance in creativity it's nothing without the power of producing taking the action and bring it to life with congruency so for instance the story that comes to a conclusion where i decided from that day whatever i do will come from a place of intention so by being service with the power of design So from then, that now probably unfolds up to 16 years to 17, I realized that I still create in the same way. But obviously... What's your process like? Well, my process is pretty simple, understanding the problem and not focus so much into the solution, but just making sure you're enjoying the process. You know, By doing that, you will... You know, stimulate the the daydream process in your mind. <laughs> the daydream is when you train your mind to be full on working, based into um, problem solving. So I, I'm also a strategist myself. I always find the problem by solving with a this solid strategy on thinking in different ways to solve that problem. But um, my creative side is how can I make that entertainment. And then design comes also in exploration of being honoring the aesthetic, you know, the craft. And the craft also comes from offering something very unique to call time. You know, your, your timing is your offering to your work. So and then, you know, you realize that every single sprinkle you invest into a process, you will unconditionally return to you in the art of crystallization of a process. Let's go a little bit back To, to your story now. You have this place, they start giving you an opportunity. Um, 
and you start learning uh, 3D design, you start learning all these things, then you go into advertising, right? Mm-hmm. That was a very good question because that actually what makes the dilemma of my journey between design and advertising. So that was um, a couple of months later in that job and I was obsessed with 3D and post-production animation, whatever would be able to challenge my brain in many, you know, creative ways I was in, you know. And then there was this guy who came into the space to do a workshop and a talk about art direction versus designer. And I was like, what is the difference in between this? Could not answer that question. So, and then this guy just starting to say, um, oh, yeah, you know, the designers are more the executioners of the process. They, they execute. And the art directors are more the, the prophets, the visual prophets. They come up with the ideas and then they deliver that for you to execute. It's like, wow, that's so unfair, man. I want to be this guy. But okay, what's the, my main question was, um, I was actually the annoying kid in the room asking a million questions for this guy. And then he was like, so, so the art director is the one that just demand the work. I want to be the boss. <laughs> I want to be the boss. <laughs> American dream. So basically, I realized that from that day, that's what I want to do. But not focusing the director side, but being to the artistic one. So, but also, I also loved how to execute things in the most engaging way. So I could not leave that those tools behind. That became a new way of being. So I became an anomaly into the process. So then I went to this guy and said, listen, I want to work as an art director. <laughs> no, you can't because you need a, a degree in advertising. I was like, Ma, I, don't even I don't even have high school. How the fuck am I going to get this job? Did you ever get the diploma or you just did yeah. your career? No, I printed them myself. I made them <laughs> really beautiful and pretended that I've been to schools and in sort of organizations that would control my mind thinking. And next day, I picked up my, my things in my lunchtime and I went to these advertising agencies where this guy that was doing the talk, where he works full time. And then went to the reception and say, I have a meeting with this guy. Um, told his name. And then they say, um, no, we don't have a meeting here. I said, okay, how, does, how is it possible? Can you just bring him, bring him downstairs? This is not how it works. Okay, so... Let's make this easy. If you don't bring him, I'm going to go upstairs. All right. So that's the moment you bring the ghetto back into the arcade. <laughs> <laughs> so and then the guy came down. I was like, what are you doing here, man? This, uh, no, I'm here to talk to your creative director, your boss. Um, I want a job. It's like, no, man, you need to leave this place right now. At least show me around. You know, I want to get to know how an advertising agency works. And then I went upstairs and, you know, got to know the people and... That's it. I asked for a job for whatever circumstances I could be there, I will be there. So I started to cut the layouts after printing them and gluing them into the blackboards so they can be presented in the meetings. That was my job. So two things that, that I find really interesting because a lot of people, they just go and, oh, I want a job. I'm just sending my resume. Something I really relate to you because several of the jobs I really wanted, the way I did it, it was like, man, I'm here and I'm not leaving. And this is what I can do. And I just wanted to be on the right place. And I was like, if, if, the right, if I'm at the right place, I'll get the right opportunity. 
And that's a little bit what you did. And what you watch a lot of people is like, oh, let me send my resume and maybe they will pick me up. And it's like nobody does or you end up hiring people with great resumes that in the end they are kind of useless uh, with, uh, in what they do. And also like this stamina. It's like I don't take no for an answer. It's mm. like uh, and, and you go for it being and try to be at the right place. And then when the opportunity comes, you're there. Now, Brazil at a certain point gets too small for you and you go into London and you don't speak English you don't have a visa, you end up in a lot of trouble, but you also end up in top advertising agencies, top clients and a lot of awards. Can you give us like a very brief <laughs> summary of this period and how you get there? Because, okay, now I'm like, for a kid from the ghetto, I'm like, I'm pretty successful. You're probably doing mm -hmm. better than most of the people you grew up with and you got out of that life. Yeah. But now... It's like, no, I want more. It's like, mm. Brazil is not enough. Now I want to go worldwide. Well, I'm going to put a comma into Brazil. It was too small for me, actually. I, I was still working in a regional market for small agencies. And, and so I never really resonate much with the Brazilian advertising culture, actually. I'm, I'm not calling myself a black sheep in that sense. But I, I found advertising very polished, very um, trendy and all led by pop culture. Obviously, advertising has a huge element of that. But for me, it was taken so serious. <clears throat> and then I started to understand more about the business after a couple of few years in advertising in Brazil. And I started to see that way, way the rock stars are not, are not coming from here. Okay, obviously, not just do the fact that I was obsessed with Rolling Stones, you know, to make that very easy decision to go to Europe and London. And but I looked at, you know, the, the creds of the works that used to resonate to it. They come from a place called BBH in London, Bartobotko, Haggerty. That was it. I was like, I'm in, baby. How do I do to get to this place? Hmm, that place would need a diploma. <laughs> but I don't have any. But I must confess, I'm a doctor in taking risks. So I tried to check how much money I had, and I realized there was not enough, you know. So but that was a good starting point. And in sequence, you know, my copywriter, my partner at that time in the creative process, there he's like, Brother, I don't, I don't really think um, it's a good idea, man. You should first go to Sao Paulo, you know, and make that and then get some awards and pack your bags and go maybe to other places, but Lano is going to be a big, really challenging one. Especially if you don't speak the language. A hundred percent. So what do I have here? Like, how are you? Nice to meet you. And thank you. Obviously, that makes you polite enough. So, and then I packed my bag with 500 euros and I moved to Amsterdam for a month. And I just realized that, what hell am I doing here? It's okay. You're still 18 years old in the second month of your birth. It's all good. And you were 18 at the time. Yeah, I was 18. And I mean, due to the fact that I started working advertising, was yeah, you could have got the passport like and travel on your own like a few months earlier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I couldn't leave the country early as I could, as I wished. Brother, what I've actually did was um, I was in a land house back in the days. <laughs> 
I'm talking to MS, MSN with my community back in Brazil. And I just hear very common language coming from the corner left side. And I understood a few words, but I was like, it's not Portuguese from Brazil. Okay. These guys looked at me like, what are you looking at, man? You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, looking in the right place. And then I just look at what they're actually doing and they were jailbreaking mobile phones. I was like, okay, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, okay, what well, doesn't matter? What do you want? Like, Where are you from? And I can't stand you. Like, I'm from Romania. Okay, I'm from Brazil. And it turns out they really like each other. And then it's like, man, I can help you to unlock those mobile phones. Are they stolen? And the guys, obviously, they are. And then they show me, okay, so do you want to, what's up? You you know how to do it? Is the new iPhone how to unlock this thing? I say, definitely. So, and so then, basically, you were jailbreaking stolen iPhones and then you end up working yes, at Apple. <laughs> exactly. And that's how I made my cash into the UK. <laughs> so I made a couple of um, thousand euros and, you know, spent a night doing that work for them. So what I had to do is I had 500 euros and I paid my hotel and I had a few hundred left and to survive. And then I paid the guy from the land house for a night so I could use the, the space to jailbreak the mobile phones. And I did. I had a couple of box of shoes full of iPhones and I un- unlocked the mower and got my cash. And this guy's asking me to come to Paris to make a deal that and, you know, pickpocket some stuff and I'm, I'm not stealing people I'm just gonna help you in the gig side so I decided to leave these guys behind and go to the UK how much do you sleep per night? Um, when, I'm in a, when I'm in a good mood it's four hours there <laughs> you go yeah so I did so moving to London arrived in a place where if you don't speak clear enough you're retarded that was my belief system by the way so I felt like The world was too big for me, you know, and for the first time I felt like very fragile, insecure and small and reminds me where the place I was born, you know, the place where I used to grow up every day, open my eyes and like, oh, I thought it was a nightmare, but I'm back here. So it was tough in the beginning, but I must confess, it was the biggest university of my life, brother. And... I met a couple of immigrants that gave me a hand to integrate and I found my space in this house that was a room with 35 Brazilians sleeping inside each other and t- turns out you don't, need, you don't need an alarm because everyone wake up 4am in the morning to do the same job like cleaning you know, Are you still in contact with people from that time? Not really not really um, not really 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 wrote my story in a different way mm-hmm. and always wishing them my blessings every time I think about it and I consider them my mentors in life really so and then I really think picture this so there is this box the size of your leg as a just to describe guys I'm not really tall so it would be a very small box so I felt like every day I was locking myself into that place and just feeling vulnerable and insecure and I don't want to challenge the world. But and then, starting to work um, in all the kind of jobs you can name, brother. Can you even like picture like from cleaning to, um, you know, cooking. So it's Brazil mission. all over again. And how do you get like 
to the advertising agency because there's an interesting story there. Okay. Definitely. Um, it started like this. I went to a pub and I saw those blackboards with prices and headlines come and dine with us, whatever. And I can do that. My handwriting is much more pretty than this, but I can't speak English. So I used to look at the, the blackboard outside write down with my handwriting, do the illustration, making a better version of that layout, going inside the pubs and showing the owner of the pub, mimicking mm -hmm. and showing it. And it's like, wow, okay, um, how much do you want? I was like, how much do you want to pay? Do you want to eat here? And then I give you a couple of, uh, um, you know, 10 um, pounds. I was like, that's good enough. <laughs> so I did. And also I started to clean the toilets and clean the pubs and doing like a bunch of other things. And there are so many pubs in the UK, so I was in paradise, baby. And technically I was still doing design because typography is one of my strengths since that day. And then I, not by luck, but by synchronicity across the street, there was a place called Bartobogo Hagerty, BBH. Turns out it was the agency I wanted to work on. So my lunch times, I used to hang outside and just wait for the creative directors. I was um, looking up to it and I couldn't see any of them. So I printed their LinkedIn profiles and I decided to, to wait for them and see if they match the picture. So it did not work well. And then turns out I really met this incredible man that really pointed me in the right direction. And just to give a brief, brief um, introduction of what happened to this story without losing the thread. So this guy decided to have a tea with me and look into my portfolio and, you know, headhunt me. I was like, brother, <laughs> wait, you just you emailed me to see me and then I sit in front of you. So you don't have legal rights to work here. You are legal for a year already. So you were asking me to get your job in the best agency in the world. And you have no education, no qualification. Why would they give you that job? You don't even speak English well. It's like, brother, um, I just want a meeting. I just want to have an interview. I just want five minutes with these guys. That's all I take from that. It's like, so you're basically saying that you're going to go and then guarantee that you can get yourself a job. That's right. So I went and I met this profound mentor I had in my life called Eric Chia. This guy was um, head of a department in housing to the in BBH, this agency. And I arived and this man just like, well, I have five minutes for you, brother. Just go on. And then I just started to show him a portfolio and this guy was kind of not falling asleep, but he was beyond in the lack of interest. And then he's like, okay, man, why would I give you this job? I was like, well, first of all, um, I'm not leaving the place without the job. And second, I just really want an opportunity, man. I really want to make in the industry of design because I have a lot to offer by learning. And then he's like, obviously my speech was so limited. And then he's like, well, certainly you speak English. Okay, what else do you need? I said, I actually need a letter of recommendation so I can get a visa. <laughs> wow, you come here and then you... So, come on, man, you can't give a job. I was like, all right, cool, listen, um, I just left jail and I'm really struggling. I believe that... You Why were you it. arrested? Opa, so this is a chapter that gets quite spicy. <laughs> 
one of my, one of my masteries in graphic design was by mimicking ways of surviving by creating my documents. AKA forgery. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> just to make that quite formal. Um, well, they, first thing when I arrived in a strange country in the world of Latinos trying to make is, they ask you, you know, do you have papers? Well, brother, I don't have European background. I'm not that privileged as far as I'm concerned. Well, Brazil was not so trendy back then, but was very famous to be, you know, having a huge history in illegal operations in paperwork. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to ask my Brazilianos if they can connect me to someone to get paper. So you need to get paper with this guy. And then I meet this guy and then he showed me this piece of paper. I was like, dude, I'm paying you the money I'm struggling to survive for a piece of toilet paper with my face on it. And you're calling me Portuguese. Listen. Hey, I hope that's not an offense. You would never be. <laughs> <laughs> you would never be. That was the best option I had. <laughs> and then I just started to laugh within myself and crying. And like, why am I doing this? But oh, good. So the thing is, I haven't had any... At that time, I didn't have a computer. I barely had time to find a space for myself. So then a friend of mine was like... Um, so I told him, man, I can make the paper better than this. This is ridiculous. And okay, cool. But what can you do about it? And I need your computer. I'm going to install um, a software there. And then in the night, I can print some, um, I can make some designs first. And the next day, we can find a printer and then we can make it. All right, cool. And then I started to microwave all the papers I had to make them dehydrated and then put into the printer and make them juicy and realistic enough to a point that I was selling quite often and make my living out of that for a few months. So the way it works is like, you work over 20 hours a day doing those jobs illegally and you cannot work full time. So you have to have many jobs of a couple of hours a day. So you cannot be hired. So I was exhausted. So the more money you make, less hours you work and more time you sleep. But I was actually doing the opposite. So the times, the spare times I had, I was really going to libraries, really getting to know the UK and really studying and really keeping my congruence into my dreams to make into the world of design. That's, that's like a very interesting thing. So you did a lot of things that people would judge as criminal, incorrect, uh, morally wrong, like... I don't know, from forgery of documents to doing all these different things. And, and you were making a good living on that. Like you could make a decent living on that. Amazingly, and actually you came from a background where that was kind of okay, correct? Like where you grew up, you had a lot of criminal activity around you. So that was kind of okay doing it. You get to Europe, things are harsh. You can make good money doing like jailbreaking phones, forgery, everything. How do you keep your drive to actually say, no, I want to be a designer. I want to basically almost like humiliate myself doing whatever, begging people for a job, everything, and go and work 20 hours for no pay or little pay where I could be making a better living. It's a tough choice. It's not like a, a very, I think a lot of people would go like, this is the easy way out. 
Well, brother, there is a thing within you like called spirit. Even if you have a, you haven't got enough access to consciousness, but there will be a glimpse of remembrance. So every time I remember, I had spare time with myself. It was rarely, you know, walking in those cold breeze nights and days in a strange country. Nothing could stop my dreams, you know. So what makes a man successful is not his bravery. It's his act of surrender. For all of those challenges, that's just temporary, you know, like because you're, the mission of your spirit is eternal. So I could remember some moments within myself, like I need to keep going and become this designer, you know, I want to be. So that's what kept me alive, you know. But here's the thing, man. You can get away with so much thing, so much, even if you become a master in your own illusion. But um, the reality check comes every now and then, and sometimes they smash your door, dressed as a policeman, calling you monkey, handcuffing you and putting you into cold baths for a while. But I was ignoring that reality for a while, so I thought I was the smartest man in the world in that moment. So I started to make loads of copies and papers and requests from clients, you know. Well, my clients, they, my clients share the same things as me. They just want to make, you know, like some money to send back to their families. And they just have the dream to have a better life. You know? They're not opportunists. They're just big dreamers. So I really connect with that, not disguising my lack of discipline. But I forgot that I'm not so smart as I thought. So one day I was working in this Japanese restaurant. I was a chef there. And then I went down back in the fridge. I used to spend hours there in my lunch break eating all the sweets and just feeding myself. I had enough. We haven't had enough food or time to go and, you know, feed myself. So I was saving some cash. And then this Japanese man, like, you know, his head used to be as high as my chest. He just grabbed me by my neck and then just kicked me out of this place. And I thought I was fired. I mean, I had lots of reasons to be fired, but in that moment, I was just eating a cheesecake, brother. <laughs> and then I was so exposed to the cold. It was snowing. It was my first year in snow. And then I walk outside, totally confused. And I go around in the front. You're not allowed to come to the front of the restaurant since it was a Michelin star. And then I see that the place was shut down. And then there was a blue van outside. In the UK, is a famous uh, UK border truck. They control the immigration system in the country. And then I started to run. But fuck me, I don't have any wallet and I haven't got anything. So I jumped in a bus. I forgot the number of the bus. But it was a number I should catch any kind because that could take me to any destination away from there. So I made home after four hours and so in a cold snow day. And then I just... When I arrived there, it was police everywhere, and then obviously I couldn't make him. And then I, that time I had a lover that I went to see her, so until the dust could come down. And then I went back to my house, and all my stuff was packed, and things just disappeared. And people thought the immigration took me back home. And then my lo- my landlord was like, "You need to get a fuck out of here right now." So. You know, I got a bunch of stuff, stolen bags and things. But I took my paperwork with me, all my factory of um, illusion. 
under my arms and I I went back to my house, um, sorry, my lover's house that time. And then I got myself a new place, a new job in another place. And turns out the police has been chasing me for a while. And then um, I create myself a system where I can hide my original documents and all my system can be hidden. So I have no, um, no trace behind. And then <clears throat> one day, as I thought everything was fine and a happy end, and then I come back home and I fell asleep in my bed, sitting, holding my suitcase, my, my backpack. And then I just got woke up with this massive slap on my face. Just like reality does sometimes. And then I just go, let's get a hell out of here, man, you monkey. And then exactly how my nightmare was, my reality became. So, and then that moment you think you're tough, I don't think you're tough enough. All you have to do is just surrender and just go into the truck of shame. And then they drove me to this place and obviously responsibility check. And then, so I had no much of a language to really express myself, but um, that place was beyond the physical. So I had to find my community. So the lack of Latinos has been quite tremendous in that place. So I stick around with the community of the West Indies. So and then I had an English class by learning how to get to speak again. So and then I connect with my support I have with a, a lover and a connection I had and got a lawyer and I made my way out. And then I got married. And then the love story that ended up in nine months, but that was long enough for me to birth my opportunity into the industry of design. So I got my job after that meeting I had with Eric Chia. Did he give you the recommendation letter? He did. Okay. And then so you go in, uh, you get, they give you an opportunity, right? You're there for a while and then they are supposed to decide on hiring you or not hire you. And then at a certain point, like, they didn't tell you on the last day, what did you do then? Well, here's the thing. Um, I had one brief, one opportunity, and one invitation to get out of here if you don't make it good enough. So I worked for five days nonstop, literally to a point that I felt like my bones were glowing. <clears throat> but for me, I always see that as an offering, you know. And delivered the brief... And then finally it was my last day and I was sitting there waiting for my boss to come back and give me a recognition or at least say goodbye. And then these guys arrived really drunk from a festival and super fun. Obviously they won loads of things. And then I just, all I want is just to win an opportunity. And then these guys just like, all right, come back on Monday and then we'll give you feedback. And then one of the main creative directors decided to you know call me and like turns out the story is this way they all received the work the client loved it and it was a big pitch and they were criticizing the ideas and decide what's good and bad and then my work made into the short list and then this guy is a guy from um from east london he speaks more or less like this who the fuck made this man and oh is it is a new kid i don't know his name Whatever fuck it is, bring him back here. I want to talk to him. And then I went down there. It was like a short man. Believe it or not, shorter than me. And this guy has a bigger ego than Michael Jordan. And then his room full of like street art and smells like arrogance. And I enter 
And he like looks from my long and cut toes to my bad haircut up and say like, the fuck are you? I'm, I'm being your limp. All right, man, um, you hired. And then I got my job. And I remember going to the toilet in tears, swiping up my phone, realizing I had no one to call and tell that news. But I was looking myself in the mirror and giving the recognition that we haven't made it yet, or you started. That day I decided to call my mom after eight years. And I told her, no matter the circumstances that happened in between us in Atlantic, the leaves flowing in our distance, I just want to say that I got where I want to start and I wanted to know that. What was her reaction? She was thrilled, obviously, you know, like, I remember they didn't have time to walk in the streets and celebrate. How old were you then? I was, um, oof, I was 20. So you are 20, you're hired at one of the top advertising agencies yeah. in the world without credentials, probably your language skills are not top, but you impress them like with your work and creativity. Yes, and, I did by discipline. And then how quickly, how quickly did you start getting noticed and when was like your first award? Yeah, so my first award was actually in the same year where I worked in an Axe campaign. So I worked as a, with the same team from the Virgin Media pitch and they needed to do a immersive experience in this website. I was like, my God, I can't even design a button, but I know how to learn everything. So these guys um, gave me this opportunity. I work under two creatives that time and the idea was quite fuzzy to a point, with all respect, to a point that was lacking a bit of a humanness in reality check, in pop culture. So that moment I realized that lots of um, creatives in industry, they haven't really catched the bus. They haven't really queued up for many sort of uh, needs and not calling them, they, they have a privilege to be there, but their journey were not so, so tough as mine. And I realized that I could add something so human into it. So people, and I've, I've seen that with a lot of creators. We had this conversation before, which is like, people don't connect. It's like, let me do something cool. Let me do, but they're talking to their peers. And when you're doing advertising or any type branding, you have to communicate to your audience. But one of the things I see very often is like, people are disconnected from reality and they don't do things that... The market ones. And there's a, I think there is, like architecture, there's an equilibrium between art and functionality, getting to your goal. You mentioned the architecture. It's obviously, here's the thing though, it's design in general, you know. Mm -hmm. Design is simply means is to make life better, you know, is to solve problems. It's and beautifully, if you can, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's simply by being service for humanity, you know, like it's an instrument of creation. For instance, let's give a name to this dude, Jose. I'm not going to call him John. Come on. Jose walks into the cave after sunset. And then Renato and Maria was there in the dark, pitch black corner of the cave. And then just another day, I'm going to hide myself in a cave waiting for the sunrise next day. This group of cavemen decide to sit down and fall asleep and to the point one this guy to just make the calling of I'm no longer sleeping in the dark so this man take a couple of sticks and stones and starting to really make a reaction and realize that the first piece of technology has been created called fire 
So and then that's the first design. That's very close technology to you. Indeed. <laughs> so and then you realize that from that day we climb up the animal kingdom, survival mode, so we became the top predators in the in the world. But here's the thing, so if you really think that you're gonna change the world, mm, okay, that's amazing, so beautiful. But you need to start from a place just to be in service, you know. So my service is design and creativity. And then that's why I I always found my way, you know, away from um, the commonplace in creativity in the industry. So I found my mentors. They were profoundly, you know, nurturing my process. I always listened to them as much as I could ever imagine, honoring the silence, but also speaking loud as I could, you know, to express my my desires on transforming the ways of communicating the industry. So that led me to my first award, and but that year was deported because my wife divorced me. But I got called back into the UK with a letter of a sir inviting me back in the game to be part of the creative team. So going back to Brazil gave me a check, reality check, to remind me where I come from, but also to remember where I must go. So I I was very content to be back in the game, and really since that day I devoted to be contributing to transform the way we communicate and advertising. Design. And then you come back to London. Yes. And you come back to London. How old are you then? 21, 22? Yeah, still 20. Yeah. The same okay. year, 2021. 2021. Yeah. You come back. You have now a proper invitation, proper papers, and things start to move. You've worked uh, for Absolute, Axe, Audi, Adidas, Samsung, Burger King, like some really top brands with massive yeah. budgets. Um, and I imagine at this point, you're becoming a hot commodity, no? I would say can, and you're starting to do like all these things. You start to make more money mm -hmm. uh, and you start to have access to a lot of things you never had before. That's right. Uh, how was Vinny like, how was Vinny the man back then? Like, uh, what did you go into? Because you have a lot of opportunities that you never had before. How do you deal with them? Because I know that there's a big transformation that you're going to, to stop, to, to talk ahead. Who does Vinny become? Day one, arrived in the UK. Boom. Pulsing of joy of being alive into a spring of that rarely sunshine in London. So I walk into the office of this man called Mark Reddy with a mission of being his service. And I sit down, show him a layout I was working for Axe. So there was a big shift into the strategy from the ladies' man, get all the girls' Axe effect to grooming strategy, something more like find your magic. You know. So it actually, it was uh, very good because I was going through that myself. So, so you were a ladies' man? Well, that's a very big chapter in this story. <laughs> I know. So, that's why I'm putting it there. <laughs> so the, the, the man just really destroyed my work in a way that you cannot imagine, brother. Like, it was like, whoa, terrified, like Terminator. <laughs> okay, cool. Second day, boom, show him my idea. Oh, it's horrible. This is not good. Okay. Third day, I think I was like looking to my pocket. It was like, I have no fucks left. And I must confess, I have no tolerance for this arrogance, I was thinking. But you know, I need this job, man. I need to learn. It turns out this guy is a history change, changer. And then I showed him 
another layout and then he was just about to drop man this massive argument and I just looked at him and said listen brother I'm not gonna take in this time I just want you to give me a feedback because it turns out that's what you're meant to be doing your job right and then it's like oh, okay suddenly the man speaks say no I must confess you think you're arrogant I'm gonna show where I come from And he's like, do you know who the fuck you're talking to? He told me. I say, I'm 100%, man. I checked. I've done my homework. He's like, okay, turn. Close the door, man. Just turn yourself back here and then I'm going to tell you something. The reasons why your work is not good is because of this, this, and this. And gave me the, the Les Desmondamentos of why my work was bad. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool, fair enough. So what direction should I go? Like, you need to study typography. You need to eat alive this book, this book, this and this and this. I was like, oof, okay, I thought my job was tough enough. So I spent, oof, the whole year literally working from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. without moving my ass out of the chair, not even going to get food, just sitting and studying and working there for... Seven, from seven to seven, seven days a week for seven months. So I lost probably 70 kilos, <laughs> but I gained a lot of wisdom, you know, and so I dedicated myself to a point where I moved my desk from a little corner to close to his, and he mentored me like his own son. And turns out it was one of the few years of his life in in the industry because he was just about to retire. But he devoted himself to being service equally as I was for himself. So and then I'm, I'm not saying I mastered, but I really ate alive all the books and the content on the internet about typography and photography and, you know, kind of doing a Q&A with him. What, what's the fresh photographers at the moment and this and that. Understanding the classicness of British advertising, global communication, and really still carrying with me that, you know, child that really want to make it. So I... What makes good advertising? Clarity and truth in communicating what actually is beneficial for you to consume. And that was something I learned with them. But those guys mastered art into advertising, so it turns out I had to learn that too. So and then in consequence of that came the the gratification of finance, you know, and awards. And, and how do you that. deal with it? How do you deal with like with his reputation? How do you deal with women? How do you deal with party? You mentioned that the Rolling Stones, you're a big fan. It's <laughs> a lot of sex, drugs and rock and roll. Okay. Like how is How is this new version? You're having access to this new world that before you didn't. And usually there's like some kind of delight and uh, amazement for it that can take you like in different roads. I must confess, I always really loved women in a way that was quite often unleashing my ego to be full time into that desire mode. But when you're starting to make the money you never had, in a country that perhaps we're considering to be almost impossible to make in the industry I was. And turns out, for, for me, it was effortless to be what they call good, you know, because I was always investing so much time to become great and recognized what I was doing. So, and then I signed to win awards and make my money and obviously having access to parties and drugs, immense amount of drugs and sex and rock and roll. 
And well, the thing is, I was full on into drug consumption and ladies, but that was not affecting my job, you know. Would you say you were an asshole at that time? No, I was not. I was more curious to be one of the key members of Illusion in a night out. So, and then I obviously, speaking, always being one of my tools of making in this life. So I mastered the language and obviously understanding what was beneficial for my emergent pleasure. Starting to really focus deeper, deeper into the work and then climb my way up to the, the role of a senior art director creative and really grasp into every single opportunity I had in front of so my So you were work hard, party hard, living the life, everything that comes yeah. with it, and you're full on. And then I you get a call to go to Apple? Yes. How um, does that call come in? Yeah, well, in, in, it was a moment in my career in Europe that was... Um, UK was going through the Brexit and you know I was partying so hard in Europe in general it was just um, you know jet set in my work and jet set on night outs and constantly high and constantly devoted to be exhausted by the amount of drugs and sex and rock and roll I was having and mixing what was freedom and what was discipline and taking a big um, role in my job that was really stressful for me and I really connected deeper with my ego to be extremely arrogant towards those that were not having lack of understanding what was, you know, in honor to my own benefit. So, and then I was... To a point, I felt like there was no growth for me here. Perhaps it was one of the cliffs of the darkest moment in my life. A party that was taking four days to end. <laughs> and I kept going and had a lot of drugs and, you know, sex encounters and more drugs and more drugs. And then I finally made my way back home. I don't know how. Four days later. Yeah, just like crazy. And then I... You know, had a shower and just fucked and really destroyed and decided to charge my phone. And when I go down to connect the thing and I just collapsed into a daydream sort of feeling with so much pain to my chest. And then I saw my mouth, you know, bubbling like soap. That was the first time I had an overdose in my life. And then I was like, wow, I have no time to think what's going on, but looks like I'm not gonna make it. And then I woke up in the hospital and got like another slap of a reality from a doctor, you know, that I expected to give me good news. He just tell me like, listen, mate, you are literally wasting my fucking time Right, could be saving people's life, but you're here like just because you've been having an immense night on your own, having a selfish great time. So you just had a initial heart attack and an overdose. So you can call yourself for your own pleasure a miracle. So I don't know what you do in your life or you do for a living, but just watch out because you're too young and I would consider changing your behavior. You know, 
was like, wow, whatever, man. I'm ready for the next party. And then I made my way out and then took some time off from work. Got a phone call that changed my life, man. <laughs> so I had an invitation to work for Apple, to work with um, the iPhone team. And, you know, I knew that would be a, a green card, not just for America, but also to clean myself out of trouble. And so I moved to California, San Francisco, and I got myself a place and I was extremely alone the whole time, like detoxing myself from drugs and distractions. But I realized I was deep into um, the illusion of the Silicon Valley. And What are you afraid of? Today or then? Then and now. Now, anything before the loud voices in my mind. <clears throat> so you're not afraid of anything now? No. No. I trust love fully, unconditionally, to be in service. Why would I be afraid of if I have the my guidance and my spear guides that leads me to the my mission that is very clear to be in service for others, you know. Okay. And um at the time you were afraid of the voices in your head? Well, I was afraid of not making, you know, that's the first thing you do when you leave a uh, place where I left. You just want to make it, you know, you just want to have a... What was making it? Exactly. That's a very good question. I was expecting this journey, brother. Uh, what was making it then and what is making it now? All right. Um, then is just to have the financial security, be always in a know-how you know, recognized professionally and, you know, always having good digits in a banking account and, but also, you know, the difference between then and now is that, you know, how much costs my freedom? It's priceless. You know, freedom from the belief systems of having to prove something that you're not actually aligned to it. My fear is to be out of that alignment to prove others how great I was. But don't get me wrong, huh? I've always been kind of a maverick in my industry, not giving a fuck of about anything to be fitting to the standards of acceptance. I always think, I always did my best effortless to be thinking different. Not to prove anything to others, but, but just to make But were you being different to be recognized by the same? That's what I call illusion. You know. Was it a way to, like, you know what? I'm going to prove myself to you, not the way you want me to prove myself, but I'm going to prove myself in a way that you'll be surprised and that will actually take you out of your center. Well, I would call that the Fibonacci of bullshit. <laughs> man you're just like in this like rat um, wheel like what's you call it the rat wheel that just keep going in circle for your own benefit to get me and wait there's no expansion within that I really got into the point that I was like this is the dream job this is the dream department this is actually what I wanted for myself, to be in a position to work in the best design studio in a planet with the best creatives and just be like part of the change in the industry 
And it turns out I really like the product, so I use that in my daily basis to call iPhone. And tell me something, you got to San Francisco, um, so you're basically trying to get out of drugs, you are, which year are we talking about and how old were you? Well, we're talking about two years before pandemic. Okay, so like 2018. Yeah, 2018. So you got to San Francisco in 2018, um, that's like six years ago, so you're like 28. Um, and then when you're there, you start working hard at Apple. First, tell us a little bit, like, especially being a creative at Apple, what's it like to work at Apple? Um, frustrating. And obviously, I'm not going to take that into a, how can I say, in my own um, selfish perspective, but um, it's a profound place to learn. Don't get me wrong, but it's just so much of a process and less of a freedom. Do you get me? So you learn how to be more of a director than a creative. So in Europe, it's totally the opposite. So by being creative, you have enough support to become a director. So because you work into a realm of freedom and creativity and empowerment of thinking free. But in Apple, it's all about a process. It's all about how can you title, just like meditation, so you're titling your thoughts as they come and fly. So ideas in Apple are basically the product of your survival. So you have to always constantly give a title, a process, in order to be billable for the system of the company. So, and the more thoughts and more ideas you have and the better you categorize them and shape them into a way everyone can understand. Well, that's fantastic, but what I missed so much from my job was to be there in the room, selling with a passion, jumping on a table, not even wearing a shirt as you're rocking your leather jacket. So just really going for it and just evolving and involving people and connecting in this humanness to bring the ideas to life. In Apple, it was a little bit different. It was more like, structures, ideas, clarity, process, so people can engage with that, those ideas in your absence, so they can survive through many layers of the process until they perhaps can make. But um, I also did not like the, the transportation, like kind of the commuting system from San Francisco to the Silicon Valley. Trust me, brother, I don't want to live in the Silicon Valley. It's so fucking boring. So... There is a taco place in a corner and a strip club in front of Apple. So as though that was our, you know, actual extra curricular entertainment, but we couldn't do it. But the campus, the campus wasn't amazing and had everything and every. It was just boring and it's like I'm going to the strip club and have some tacos. Skip like the orange garden and skip like everything. There we go. Bro, I was a raver, man. I was like a ladies' <laughs> man. I was like totally in. A, in the rhythm of the youth, you know, like in the birth of... Did you manage to stay out of trouble or you got back into like the partying and the drugs and everything in San Francisco? Well, turns out Mexico City is not so far from San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> it became my main commute at that time. So I literally decided to come and quite often see my brothers and sisters in Mexico City where I was spending a lot of time. And I moved to LA for being a couple of projects. 
LA is exciting, but it still felt disconnected from the great, you know, from the true core of the youth in our generation. That this is something that London and Berlin has always been delivering for us back then. So, and then I started to live out of saudade, you know, this Brazilian word that really expressed, Portuguese word that expressed this unconditional missing of something that you love and honor so much, but you must let go in order to move on. So, and then I was living into that Fibonacci of desires of being somewhere, but I cleaned myself into my temporary rehab, wealthy rehab of my own house. Until the point I started to close my eyes and really connect with meditation. And I could hear one sound after the loud voices that come down. It was my heart. That had a, an attack before. No, <laughs> I was clean. I was in totally surrender mode. But in then I started to really connect with the idea of like inspiration. So what is actually inspiration is like by being spirit, correct? Once you are in spirit, you are in a position to be inspired and inspire others. So that's where the shift is started in my life. So and then the more connection I had with that energy of the spirit, less interest I was giving to my job. So and then I started to find a lack of belonging to the corporate world. So poof, well, my colleagues were telling me, man, why are you hating this job so much? This is a dream, bro. You're making shitloads of money. Turns out in two years you're retiring. You have the best brief, the best product, the best team. What's, what, are you most, what were you most mm. proud of? Or what are you most proud of that you did at Apple? Not of the work, but mainly my discipline and dedication of something that I realized that does not serve me. So what actually I'm proud of Apple is to become one of my biggest mentors to show me that my freedom is priceless and I should definitely honor that. So in order to be extremely successful, I do not need money. I do not need a system of cooperation to tell me and to really support me and put a label on me and really make me be in service for them. Wow, that was an awakening, professionally awakening, I would say, to leave that job behind. And then pandemic happens, you're still at Apple. Yes, indeed. So you're still at Apple. You Do you have stock or you don't have stock? No, that's okay. the whole point of this. No, but you had stock at the time? I did. You I had did. stock options or stock or had you had everything you can imagine for my own benefit. Okay. Financially and creative. Financially you are you have all the conditions and this is like okay, from arriving from the ghetto in Brazil, you're at Apple, you're probably becoming a millionaire soon. Um, all these things are happening, people around you probably people you grew up with have can't even imagine the life you're going through, the places you're at. Your peers that you were probably at the beginning of your career in London also like want to be you or want to be where you are. And then suddenly pandemic hits. You're already like going a little bit through this transformation. And what happens then? I received the same phone call 
in London, but in Tulum. What are you doing there? Uh, I will stop the story like this. I'm going to start from the beginning of the pandemic. So one of my best friends, Dana, called me and said, listen, brother, the world is going to be upside down. So where are you finding yourself to be in that moment? I was like, first of all, the world is round. So there's no corners to hide. So I think I'm in the right place. What's up? Well, I'm in Tulum. So, and I have a profound opportunity for you to be here with me, join us in this holistic festival that's going to happen this weekend. Why don't you pick up your bags and come here and see what's up with the world? I was like, wow, sounds like a juicy opportunity to be free. I was like, you know what? I'm going to pack my bags and go and spend a weekend in Tulum. So I did. Brought my computer, my, my actual office. And then I flew in straight into the Tulum invitation and then spent a week there. Turned, wow, man, okay, great. I need to go back. And then I received a phone call. What's up, brother? How are you? And he was my boss. And my creative director just asked me, so what's your, what's your plan? So you know that United States is closing the border and Apple... I think Apple is going to shut down. So they're talking about this thing called lockdown and you're going to have to be home. So I just want to check if your house have enough infrastructure to be in service for the company. I was like, what? Dude, I'm in Mexico. It's like, perfect. Stay there. Do you have enough infrastructure to be there? I was like, yes, I find my way, bro. But I'm not going back to the United States. And then he's like, great. So because they are shutting down all the, everything, man, the city is like in panic. So stay there. Cool. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to send you a brief of the new iPhone in a second. So make sure you're ready for that. There will be a series of calls and just another day out of the paradise. So and then I, you know, Finished this holistic program and I was into it. My best friend left to a city called Teposlan and I stay still in Tulum. And he called me again. Um, the world's actually going to be even worse. So just so you know, I want to know if you actually have enough infrastructure before they actually shut down the borders of the United States officially. So I'm not going back. So I'm staying here. Okay, cool. You have enough infrastructure? Yes. And then that was it. Out of nowhere, the gods gave me the gift of my computer to burn. So I lost all my files. I lost all my access to the corporate and the divine forces of the prison of the my intellect. And realizing that my spirit was free yet. And then... They tried to help me as much as they could to send me a computer here and there. They really tried, even threatened me to fly me in private to go back. Whatever was happening, I was not interested because what could go wrong? So I'm in the best place in my life right now, but I was escaping. So what happened was um, I had a week to decide what to do. I didn't wait long enough. 
So I wrote a letter of uh, resignation that transformed my life and perhaps that too, they actually gave a damn about my process. But I just... We'll post that if you don't mind. <laughs> it's a juicy one. Yeah. So I expressed that with clarity, I really tapped finally into my mission here, right? And that clarity made beyond clear that I cannot be in service for the corporate world anymore. That, you know, and he called me and like, are you kidding me? You cannot afford this letter. You cannot do that, man. You have a dream job. You have like millions already coming in your life. Like, you're genius. You have everything you want. Like, it's all that, man. Like, okay, you're gonna lose your stock. You're gonna lose your share. You're gonna lose everything. Great. Listen, um, how much money I'm gonna lose? Uh, well, you're talking about a lot of money. I said, like, cool. Um, how much costs my freedom? I ask myself. Priceless. So I am totally aiming to pay. So I quit. And I don't know if I was going to be fired anyway, but I had no fucks left in for that equation. But I was very grateful for the journey. So from now on, that time I say to myself, from now on, I'm going to be devoted and you understand what the magic represents to me. So going back to the inspiration, you know, like being spirit. And how goes the process then? What happened at the time? You are in Tulum, you quit your job, and there's still like quite some work to do personally now. Wow. The thing is, you want... Because I didn't know you at the time. Actually, I was in Tulum at the same time, yeah. but we didn't know each other. Yeah. We have a lot of friends in common. And and I just this morning, I was with a, with a friend in common, and he was like, no, Vinny was a completely different man. Hmm. What happens then? And that's part. In Tulum, you're not like that new version completely at the beginning. No. What changed and how did you go on that process? Here's the thing, nothing changed, right? It's because you really understand what reality is. So your mind, your desires, your illusion really makes everything for your favor. So your own emergent pleasurable benefits. I decided to just stop everything and just listen to my thoughts and realize that I was carrying so much suffering, so much pain wow it's just so much it's basically you arrive into a place and then you have like a millions of printed to-do lists in your room and you just sit down and all you have right now is time because the world literally stopped but brother I'm not gonna be locked down I'm gonna gonna lock myself out So I sat down and it's time to go through all the archives into my mind, in my memories and sufferings and all of that, categorizing my entire mind. And then I wrote an essay that it's called The Mind Designer in that time. That was my diary and my spiritual journal that was writing chapters of how to organize my spiritual discipline, you know. So and then I saw that like, 
in Tulum has this for me one of the most mystic places yeah, it's insane time. yeah only people that have mm. spent there quite some time understand it yeah. yeah besides all the party place and everything mm. models bottles everything like there's there's a magic to the place that is very unique well here's the thing man Tulum carries something that I was carrying too so Tulum has the majestic feminine divine force that lives in the water spirits that we really navigate under your feet so I was carrying so much feminine pain within me you know my connection with my mother and all of that ladies and all things that I used to really be into it and be judgmental about it so I started to really go to some rituals and some events and then see a fire there like burning and I'm always there finding myself into that safe container and you know, like just Not just for the sake of being warm, but just really trying to understand what's the role of that thing, that divine spirit in our lives. But I was like, I have time. I don't need to be anywhere. I don't need to be called by anyone. So I literally don't even have a mobile phone anymore. I, whatever. One thing I had was like time and money that time. And then I got invited to be in a place in the city of Tulum and there was like La Valeta, right? Yeah, La Valeta and there was a hole in the middle of the back garden and I was like, what was that? There was a fire there and I'm like, yes Okay, um, so Vini, are you moving in? Or, yeah, we have a room Okay, cool I must say now I'm moving in from the moment I'm here until the moment I leave I'm going to keep the fire on And all right, cool, <laughs> amazing. So what does that actually mean to me? I did not know and I had no expectation, but every day I was there devoted to keep the fire going. What did that do for you? Uh, it did not burn anything, but it just made everything that was hidden to the shadows clear with the light. So I realized I have way more work to do than I thought. <laughs> so... What I did was really trying to understand how to come the voice, the loud voice in my mind and really trying to channel a clear connection with my spirit and how to be more in silence and really be in service for others. And as I had no like source of information and computers and phones, I was just literally connecting with the most profound ways of learning in this human experience through nature and humans. So I was going to immense hours of conversations with friends and people that really contribute so much to my journey and transformation and starting to meditate into this fire and on my knees for hours just really like listening and feeling the heat connecting with the energy of the sun to a point I opened my eyes in my house in this fireplace that I built my own hands and I started to see some guests coming and joining me and I started to make new friends and say listen every day sunset in my house there will be a fire you're very invited so come do I bring anything well if you bring whatever you want you say, whatever is your alchemy as long as you're in spirit you're welcome and they come and One day I opened my eyes, it was like over 50 people joining us. It became a, 
actual century to be in service for others because everyone was supporting and creating this energy together. And I realized that, whoa, self-work is actually fun. And so I did it's go... It's like an extreme sport. You go yeah. and you look for adventure inside instead of outside. Well, brother, when I go into do something in my life, I go into the deepest intentions. You can have a go and make that happen the best way as possible in my reality. So, and then I went in deep studies and readings and connecting with the right people. And finally I invited all the medicines into the equation, the guidance of all the spirits. And then, then Tulum goes, there was that magic period of Tulum. Then you leave Tulum, you meet your amazing girlfriend, Zohar. Yeah. And then you have like all these journey. Well, here's the thing, man. The United States finally opened. They opened the gates of division. And I finally had the opportunity to go back to my apartment in San Francisco and pack my bags and come back. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to do that easy, you know? Like, I met this profound medicine woman, maestra, old spirit, and now it's beyond an inspiration. It's my reality of... She makes me feel that the world frees in all the possibilities to be falling in my lap because I'm in spirit with her constantly, and especially with myself first. So, and then I, at that time, you just, you know, love us. And I ask her, listen, do you want to come to San Francisco with me and pack my bags and drive back to Tulum? And I'm like, what? I thought she would say no. I was like, 100%. I know you for less than a week, but I'm definitely coming with you. So we went, packed all my bags, everything. I gave so much away and then just... Whatever can fit in the back, I'm bringing. So, um, turns out it was just a couple of suitcases. <laughs> But that was enough treasure for me to live an abundant life of freedom. They feel priceless. So, paid my taxes. You know, reality check. Oh, great. Left United States. Come back to my sacred Mexico. The land of fire. And had the most authentic clarity from the universe that this is the place for me to live and co-create. So I spent nine months living in the wild, connecting from the United States until Oaxaca and driving through the mountains and deserts and oceans and whatever you can name, the flora and abundance of the land and connect with medicines and spirits and realize that this is what I call freedom. And now, tell me something, because now you have a beautiful home, a beautiful girlfriend, so you're getting more, let's call it in a traditional way, more settled. How does that do with the freedom you had before just to do whatever you wanted? Okay, so do you think you're, you settle? Well, here's the thing. Not settled, like, no, no, no. yeah, go unsettled on, on you. It's, it's a more traditional. It kind of 
let's put it like this. Some people might find it less exciting and you're putting it as more exciting. No. So like, how did you get through all this craziness? You get like to piece that is more exciting than all the craziness before. That's what I wanted to interrupt you before and say that what settle means for me was before like having a house and a spouse and a child and a dog and you know, leaving a postcode in a corner by you have your car. What? I never thought I would be actually one woman for a week. You know, like clean, out of drugs and desires. So wait, that's what I call be unsettled because you are free from those things that set you down into those belief systems. Okay. So that's where you can call yourself you are unsettled, but you are actually devoted to have freedom with discipline. And then by living like that, first of all, in love with yourself, by having a companionship, wow, that's what I call life, man. So we... I ended up my life with a hundred dollars again in my pocket after all during pandemia. And I lost uh, all the money I had. Like, I was like, whoa, what am I gonna do here? Well, I have everything I want to start again. So <laughs> I did, brother, I did. And it's starting to really puzzle together. All my, my journey back then and now, I started to find that it's a huge lack of you know, finding a title for what I do for a living. So I call myself a design alchemist. What does fuck uh, that means? So basically, you can literally combine any kind of disciplines in design into a mycelium network, combined into one problem-solving thread of thought that brings into a huge idea of solving the problem and being serviced in the most profound way. So in fact, from that day I had the idea, I decided to also only work with clients and partners that want to have a clarity in their mission here for humanity by being you know, more sustainable, more be more conscious about not encouraging unconscious consumption just really creating design to last longer and really just empowering what I call being service, you know. And so that's how I made my current abundance by just doing what I love the most, really. So you went to lose yourself outside to find yourself inside and then you were able to start yeah. building again. That's right. What would you tell your 20-year-old self if you could? Enjoy. Enjoy and go as deep as you want. And, but never rely on faith, you know. And every opportunity you have to just be in silence and listen to your heartbeat, that's going to be the orchestra of your success. And just really remember that the breath is the currency of your presence. And again, you don't pay taxes to think and dream, brother. Just go for it. You know? Do you have any regrets? Many. That many. you do things differently? Yeah, I had many regrets that was 
probably one of the most, uh, the biggest pains I was carrying in my life. And then when you stop feeling that connection with regret, you're starting to forgive others. But you're like, wait, I don't need to forgive anything. Who am I, God? You just got to be grateful for everything that happens in your life and then just clap for their mastery and then don't forget to really stop tapping in your shoulders and tell that you make it, you're making. No, just really, just reminds your values and really find a role in the community, in the collective ascension, you know, because if you think you're going to accomplish all your dreams in one lifetime, you're not thinking big enough. Mm -hmm. Or if you really think big, it can be measured by the human scale. So you're basically, again, going to the Fibonacci of illusion. You know, just really don't give yourself uh, your ideas a scale. Just give them impact on others. That makes sense. Yeah. And I know you want to have kids. Kids that will be born in a very different place where you were born. What would you teach them and how would you teach them? Wow, that's a very juicy question, I must confess. <laughs> um, well, don't get me wrong. I think quite often, you know, to be in the fatherhood um, position in my life. But I just want to, I just want them to understand that everything is possible, but in its own time. You know, understanding also the time Again, back to the cliche, it's an illusion, but it's just so, so an energy, right? So you gotta put, put the currency of your success. Your currency of success is your time, you know, and you're offering your time and just being a discipline and really devoted to really transform. But, oh, wait, you cannot do anything alone. The more the more in the right people you involve into your process in honor to nature definitely gets more exciting. So just take your time to really stop classifying your ideas and give them scale or just really understand how much impact they can cause on others by just simply being in service, you know. And also empowering the power of creativity within them. So, because imagine this, right? So, your mind can also make your life fall in your parts, right? Like destroy and disaster and dramatic. But actually, your mind can also make things fall into places, you know, creating an order and a system out of any belief systems so you can be free from it and find your mindfulness. You know, and there's no age for that. So I want them to understand that since early on, the power of the service. You know. Who will Vinny be in 10 years? Hopefully, hopefully still looking very juicy and happy in the heart. That's for sure. Um, well, we always look into the future by imagining us a better version, right? Definitely we want that for ourselves. But also I want I wanted to be in a place where I can be a better mentor for myself and for others as inspirations and 
before I wish anything for myself, I just want the world to be in a better place, to be honest with you. I just want the world to be having more integrity and awareness of consciousness and accessibility for communities and others that lack what us privileged ones have. I just want to have more unity in that 10 year so I can blow the candle and feel that this is a place to give a birth. Does that make sense? Vini, it's an honor being your friend and hopefully I can be at this celebration in 10 years again <laughs> like we did this year in Xochimilco. <laughs> I think we end in a, in a great note. Thank you so much. It's always Lightning. amazing talking to you and so engaging with me. I think it's one of the longest podcasts we've done. But and I think we'll have like plenty more to talk soon with mm. all the projects you're being involved. Thank yeah, you so much. My pleasure. And I just wanna slide a letter of honor to be here in especially in the position, these sweaty pants in hours of conversations. To really just be immensely grateful for really you have interest on in my story, on my sharings and hopefully this can be useful as instrument of inspiration and hopefully those that resonate with the story can realize that it can be free from those belief systems that make them a title into a system that does no longer serve them and empowering their ideas. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You may reach out to us for commenting, giving suggestions, or just say hi by email x at leadsadventures.com, Twitter and Instagram at leadsadventures, and LinkedIn, Leeds Adventures. Leeds is L-I-T-S and stands for Life is Too Short. Leeds X Podcast is a result of the teamwork between Beatrice Souza, Janos Geyer, Lydian Marie Friedrich, Sigurd Koltz, and David Bernardo Santo. Please remember that more than providing answers, Lead Sex Podcast aims to raise awareness and questions about topics that are becoming relevant and discussed in society. The podcast reflects the personal views of each of its participants and not any institutions. It's not in any way meant to give investment, health, medical, or any other type of advice. Many of the topics addressed are still not fully tested, confirmed, or approved, so please question everything you hear and exercise extreme caution.